Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. Today, I have one of my very best friends as my guest, Sarah Murphy, who you might know on Instagram as The Potent Plant. So not only is Sarah a great friend of mine, but she's also my very trusted advisor on all things health. Sarah is a multifaceted integrative practitioner who practices a multi-modality approach to root cause medicine and healing. She's certified in holistic nutrition, clinical herbalism, and practices Chinese medicine and polyvagal theory, and more recently focuses on nervous system health and healing as certified in the biology of trauma. So if we need someone who knows about trauma, Sarah is your girl. But also Sarah jumped on our anxious attachment episode a couple of months back, which turned out to be the third best performing episode ever on the Open House podcast, where we were discussing does the anxious attachment style actually go deeper into your biology? And the answer was very much yes. So if you've listened to that, you're already going to be familiar with Sarah. If not, get familiar because you're going to be seeing a lot more of Sarah this year. She's going to be jumping on the podcast every single month. She's going to be heading up the open body part of the open house episodes. And we're going to be talking about so many things, particularly related to the root causes of mental health, trauma, trauma release, healing, and so much more. So today we're talking about, is trauma actually just an overwhelmed nervous system? Now, trauma is certainly a buzzword at the moment, and almost so much so that some people are starting to eye roll at it when you hear someone say that they have trauma. There are endless Instagram accounts discussing it. The Body Keeps the Score, uh, which was an academic book about trauma by good old Bessel van der Kolk, has spent nearly three years at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. It sold almost two million copies globally, maybe more than that now. And I, for one, have one copy very much sat on the shelf in my house that has been highlighted and under aligned to shit because I was like, this is incredible. Vox even called trauma the word of the decade. So today we're going to get into all things trauma. And I think most importantly, what we are going to get into is what actually is trauma? So many people talking about trauma, never actually talking about what is it. And when you understand it, you can understand why it is something that impacts so many. So, so happy to have Sarah here. So I think we'll start with the DSM-5 definition of trauma. And in this diagnostics manual, essentially, which the more traditional medical and sort of mental health care model follows, they say that trauma requires actual or threatened death, 
serious injury or sexual violence. And I want to start with Sarah. Is that an outdated definition? Thank you so much, Louise. And I'm so excited to be on your podcast again. Always the biggest fan of yours. So when it comes to trauma, today we think of trauma across an existing continuum. So as a great way to describe trauma, it is something that happens to us that could be too much, too fast. It could be something that's too soon, something that is overwhelming for our body state. Uh, Trauma can also be what didn't happen. So, you know, people always think about, you know, these terrible things that happened to us, but trauma can also be something where we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the help, we weren't seen at the time, and we just felt overwhelmed. So, We can't talk about trauma until we talk about the nervous system. Dr. Peter Levine discusses trauma and talks about trauma being a state that originates in the response of the nervous system. I know we're going to get a little bit into what the nervous system is in this podcast, but basically uh, trauma does not have to be an event. It can just be the state of your nervous system during that event that gets you dysregulated. So what's traumatizing to one person can not be traumatizing to another, depending on the state of their nervous system and how they reacted to that event. To one person, trauma may exist in the body. To another person, it might not have an effect. So what people don't understand is that it's our biology that matters here. You know, people think of trauma as thoughts, but trauma is on a cellular level and it's our biology that's affected We have to look at trauma on the biological level and we have to put our nervous system in the way that our nervous system is regulated or dysregulated that actually creates this trauma or this stress response in the body that is not a finished response. Okay, that is fascinating because one thing that you said there was, you know, people think that trauma are these terrible things that happened. And I think that's why today so many people say, oh, like, I don't have trauma, you know, nothing really that bad has happened to me or, oh God, like everyone seems to have trauma these days. And I think what I took from you there was it's not necessarily the event, it's how your body dealt with the event. And maybe that was something that was like too fast, too soon, or like you said, something that you didn't have. Like if you didn't have support during a stressful or lonely situation, often you don't see that as being like a major trauma. But I think it's so important that we're talking about these things and understanding how they are more connected. And I also love what you said about essentially trauma being like an unfinished stress response where like the response never finished, which then dysregulates our nervous system. And then, you know, what we're going to talk about is how a dysregulated nervous system can impact you not only for the rest of your life, if you don't acknowledge that and start to learn how to regulate it and heal but it can also impact you in every single moment, you know, in your day-to-day life and impact you on a biological level. And I think that another thing that I've taken from you is ultimately to understand trauma, we need to understand the nervous system. I think that is already something that people just don't understand. They think that trauma is just a very stressful event that happens outside of us, but it is about the nervous system. And I guess more specifically, the autonomic nervous system, which is like the ANS. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an open house 101, like breaking down the basics of the autonomic nervous system, but in terms of like what we need to understand so we can understand how trauma arises. For sure. So there's two branches. You think about our sympathetic and our parasympathetic. 
The sympathetic nervous system is like an accelerator pedal, and it's commonly noted as controlling our fight or flight response. So, you know, when we are alarmed and we feel danger, when we're threatened, when we're tensed up, you can call that our fight or flight. This part of our nervous system is also the part which is supposed to mobilize us into action. You know, when we're supposed to run fast, when we're supposed to get away from the predator, everything happens on purpose. So in this state, there's the survival energy. We're pumping ourselves with adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol. And these stress hormones are generated as a protective mechanism, again, to get away from what we're trying to flee from in terms of when we're in danger. Whereas the parasympathetic nervous system, you look at that on the other spectrum. So this side of the nervous system, it's basically putting a brake on the pedal. It's commonly noted as controlling our rest and digest. And, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system is where we want to be most of our time. It's where we're relaxed, where we're in a state of, you know, where we're digesting our food. And, you know, this is the state of the nervous system where we want to be mostly Okay, super helpful to understand that. So the autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And I think one of the things I've learned from you is that a healthy nervous system is healthy, is defined in terms of resilience, right? Like it should be able to shift between the two. You go into stress and then you move through the stress response and you come back and then you move into rest and digest and you're kind of going between the two. And one of the biggest things that you've taught me is that often many people don't do that. They don't have that resilience to shift between the two, which is where you kind of can sometimes get stuck in the sympathetic, which is like the fight or flight. And, you know, we talk about this all the time that you get stuck in the sympathetic, but not because there's a tiger. It can be because you have underlying childhood trauma that you haven't dealt with. It could be that your family dynamic constantly stresses you out, your relationship, your work. Maybe you have a psychotic boss who is like crazy and really hard to work with. Loads of emails, notifications, you know, you've taught me so much about that. Um, so I think that's good for people to understand. But what I also think is really interesting is that where I got confused before I started working with you was that I thought it was just these two sections, sympathetic and parasympathetic. But then you hear people talking about like freeze and shutdown and like hypoarousal and all of this stuff. And I got confused because I didn't really understand which branch they fitted into. And you've taught me that that's something called polyvagal theory. So I would love it if you could just tell me a little bit more about that as well, because I know that so much of that is directly related to trauma. Yes, the polyvagal theory. So this theory ex helps to explain how our nervous system limits our behavior concerning how safe or how in danger we feel. And we can't talk about the polyvagal theory until we talk about the vagus nerve. And I know a lot of people have you know, or maybe they haven't heard of the vagus nerve, but we have this nerve that actually is the longest cranial nerve in our body that reaches the majority of our organs and basically attaches everything, you know, the mind-body connection. This is the vagus nerve that gives us, you know, the gut feelings, the butterflies in our gut. So anything that's happening in our mind, we'll feel it in our body. And this is, you can thank this nerve for this. So, this nerve has two branches and the branches are called dorsal and vagal. And the ventral vagal is where we want to be hanging out most of the time. This is when we feel most engaged, we're social, we're connected, we're compassionate, grounded, we feel the most safe. 
in this stage, we're pumping full of oxytocin and all of our good feel-good hormones. And then there's the dorsal vagal complex. And when this is engaged, this is the freeze complex. So we might feel numb here, helpless, trapped, disassociated. And a lot of people mistake this for depression because, again, it's designed to conserve energy and protect us from an event where we can't fight or run away from to safety. And this is all a safety mechanism our body does on purpose. So we have to understand that our body's doing these things in the stress cycles just to protect us. And our bodies are just amazing things that, you know, all our body is just doing is just always wanting to be okay. So, you know, unresolved trauma will create this high tone dorsal or sympathetic or a blend of both. All the feelings that goes with these branches, a high anxiety state or depression or a flow between the two. Again, we have to mention that flowing between the two is what's healthy, but we get stuck in each state. So that high anxiety state or that low dorsal mode, which again, affects our moods, affects everything going on in our life, anxiety, depression, all of this, we can blame this on being stuck in our stress cycle. Okay, I wrote down two things whilst you were talking there. And I think the first one is this point of the body trying to protect us. Now, this is something I have direct experience with. So I can talk about, you know, from experience, which is that with having a chronic pain disorder for maybe like 16 years or so now, and for everyone listening, it's been something that Sarah has helped me so much with. I have had a very tumultuous relationship with my body because it causes me so much pain, right? And then around the pain, there's so many health anxieties and fears and stuff like that. So for a long time, I just was very upset by the whole thing. And and Sarah really helped me understand that our bodies are always trying to protect us. And it it took me a long time to get to, to comprehend that. And I think it's the same with depression and with anxiety. If you are depressed, if you have anxiety, if you have panic attacks, you will never thank your body for them when you're just starting out on this health journey because it causes you so much distress, so many issues. No one wants to be depressed. No one wants to live with anxiety. No one wants to have panic attacks. Like it's a horrendous place to be. And what you've taught me is that our body is always trying to help us, but it's really just registering the signals that are coming in from the outside. And then it's kind of doing with it what it thinks it needs to. So it logs all the incoming information. And then it's basically saying like, okay, this is stressful. We've perceived it as a threat. We're going to push you into this. Or, okay, this is too stressful. And the last time this happened, this was the end goal. So we're going to push you into freeze. And I think the second thing is, and we're going to go into this in a lot more of our episodes together, is understanding that so many states of depression and anxiety, like you said, are actually coming from the vagus nerve, from these different complexes, from the different parts of the nervous system. And now today, when I see people that are really depressed, the very first thing I ask myself is, are they depressed or are they in dorsal vagal shutdown? Is their body shut down? And they think that's depression because they're so lethargic and they can't, they don't feel any emotions and they have no desire to do anything. And I've learned so much of this from you. Okay, so we've gone through the autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. And then we've gone through the vagus nerve and the different like branches of that and the different states that you can go through. So I think we have a good understanding of how 
these different things can happen as a result of what's going on around us and how our body perceives them. So just bringing this episode back to trauma, because I know that's what we're talking about today. Do you think it's fair to say that trauma happens when something happens to us and basically we get stuck in one of these modes? Yeah, so basically a healthy, non-traumatized, regulated nervous system is constantly going between these two systems. So the polyvagal theory tells us that when our autonomic nervous system is continually engaged, it is chronically lacking the balance between the different branches of the autonomic nervous system. When we're in our parasympathetic nervous system, the dorsal vagal takes control. It causes freezing or shutdown as a source of self-preservation. So when the dorsal vagal nerve shuts down the body, it can move us into immobility or disassociation. People may feel depressed. It takes us out of connection with others. It takes us out of awareness. It's the protective state of collapse, basically, where we feel frozen, numb, not there. Some of us can, you know, feel like we're going through the motions in life, but not actually participating in our life. So again, that's when the dorsal vagal system has taken control. And, you know, I think that we should link a diagram in the show notes just to show how important it is. So, you know, we can also get stuck in the sympathetic nervous system called hyperarousal. We might experience, you know, anxiety and hyperactivity and the inability to relax. And it's like you think about people these days and how many people are stuck in this state. You know, they have digestive problems, chronic pain disorders. So this is seen in a lot of the anxiety disorders where you have this stress response and you're stuck in this sympathetic hyperarousal and, you know, all of a sudden you're diagnosed with, you know, anxiety disorders and it's all about the flow of the nervous system and where you're actually stuck there. So, you know, we can also get stuck in both. And again, I mentioned Peter Levine, one of the, you know, he's very well known in the trauma space. He calls this tonic immobility. And this is a state where we remain consciously or unconsciously activated and we feel powerless and like there's nothing to do about it. So again, this is known as the free state. And, you know, a lot of people experience this and they actually don't realize what's happening. I just think it's so interesting to be talking about these things because I hear so many people saying that they have anxiety and, you know, they constantly just feel it like in their stomach and when they breathe in, it's tight in their chest and like the butterflies and stuff. And just really interesting, again, tying it back to the episode around trauma is at the beginning, you explained to us trauma isn't something that is essentially the event. It's really about how the event impacted our body. And what we mean by our body is how it impacted our nervous system. You know, what did that event do to our nervous system? How was it perceived? Did it push us into hyperarousal or hypoarousal? Did it cause us to think, oh my God, danger, danger, danger. And there's going to be danger forever because I have to be constantly on guard to whatever happened. Or does it make you think, you know, does your body perceive it as like, oh my God, this is too much. Shut down, shut down, shut down. And yeah, I think this is just so, so important that we're talking about it. And I want to talk to you about shaking. So this is something that's come up a couple of times for me this week. I've been starting to do in the morning, and I know you'll be proud of me because you know how hard I find it to take 
good care of myself, but I've been doing a quick cold shower in the morning after having breakfast, after waking up. That's been a big part of Sarah's been helping me to understand how important it is to not have coffee on an empty stomach, not drive yourself into fight or flight before you wake up to really be having like a good, healthy breakfast. And then I do like a little bit of cold water exposure and I do some breath work. And sometimes what I also will do after doing this episode last week with Angie Lila River, where we were talking again about embodiment, is sometimes if I feel anxious, I will just put on a song and I will literally just dance around the room like a fucking crazy person. And Sarah and I have um, a mutual friend called Shira, who we love dearly. And she has two amazing little boys. And I remember once she put on this song and he was dancing to it. And it was that like, killers in the jungle song and it's like this crazy crazy song and the kid was like dancing around the room like ah, nah, 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 like doing this crazy dancing and from that moment on it actually inspired me i was like that is what that's trauma release like that kid right there is doing trauma release without even realizing it so if anyone's listening and wants to do some shaking honestly put on that killers in the jungle song and just dance around your room for like 30 seconds and uh, you you will you will be helping yourself i promise so i'd love to know your thoughts on my killers in the jungle I guess, hypotheses, as well as this more concept of like, yeah, animals shaking in the wild and, you know, people saying that movement is medicine. Yeah, you're exactly doing the right thing, Louise. And, you know, I think it's hilarious how she gets her kids to, she just does that to get their energy out so they fall asleep, right? But, you know, we can relate this back to animals and how they instinctively discharged survival energy soon after a traumatizing event in order to return home to central vagal complex and to feel safe and a felt sense of safety. So look at the animals and look how they dealt with their trauma. Their survival depends on their ability to do this. When they're stuck in a protective mode, they don't and they won't be able to return to go out to look for food, to socialize, to play. And, you know, how do how do they do this? Well, first, they complete the fight or flight response. And if they can't fight and then they flee, if they can't flee, they will shut down and freeze and disconnect. So they're doing the exact same thing that we do. But, you know, animals are able to discharge this energy. I don't know if you've, I mean, most of us have never seen wild animals go through some sort of traumatic event, but one thing that they do to discharge this energy of this trauma is that they shake and, you know, that shaking actually will get rid of the stress cycle. And then all of a sudden they're back to normal. And with us, we've become tight if you look at our bracing patterns, when we're stressed, we hold it in. We don't move our bodies. We're not releasing any of the energy. So if we are not expressing or moving or sharing our voice, all the ways in which we can get this type of energy out, if we're not doing it, this energy becomes stagnant in our body. And it can also, again, make it hard for us to discharge and only dysregulates the nervous system more. Yeah. And I think it's something that people are starting to talk more about, which is so amazing. And last night in the house, which is our community area that we have, and we just talk about life and we discuss the podcast and stuff. There was this one girl who's dating someone and um, he said to her like, hey, can you let me know when you got a minute and I'll call you? So, you know, she has a very anxious attachment style and um, super sensitive. And she just went into fight or flight, like straight up was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. What's he going to say? Blah, blah, blah. 
And it was just so beautiful to see someone else in the group say to her, I know this sounds crazy, but can you just try like doing some shaking for a minute or two or like 30 seconds? And I just was like, oh my God, like, yes, that that is the advice that someone is giving her rather than like, it just, rather than just consciously saying like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. I'm sure he's still into you. That was the best piece of advice ever is like, yes, because in that moment, her nervous system had turned on, had switched on, had gone into fight or flight. It had perceived a danger. And like you've explained to us, it needs to move through that stress response. But for her, it felt like she couldn't move through the stress response until she spoke with him. But of course, we can't control what happens outside of us. We can't make someone talk to us now or give us answers now or give us closure or whatever. So I just thought that was so cool that she was like, yeah, you know, that was the advice that she was given. And I also think it's so interesting that we can extrapolate from the animal community. And and guys, if you haven't, if you haven't watched this already, like just take 25 seconds, go on YouTube, watch the animal shaking it out after a traumatic experience. It will change how you listen to this episode. It will change how you view the world. You will realize, oh my goodness, my body is stressed. That stress has created an energy. That energy is lodged in my nervous system and I am not doing anything to get it out. And I'm talking about this so passionately because I'm just kind of having this realization after 16 years of having a chronic pain disorder that I'm like, oh my God, if I'm not moving every day, if I'm not shaking every day, how could I ever expect this to move out of my body? You know, I could take all the supplements in the fucking world. I could do everything. But like, if that energy is not moving and my my nervous system can't come back to basics, it's never going to transition. So yeah, it's a huge part of my journey. And, and again, I always say this, but I have you to thank for that. And I guess my final point here is that in The Body Keeps the Score book, Bessel Van der Kolk says that like one of the studies that either he did or someone did on a bomb shelter was that like there was a major trauma stress experience going on outside of the bomb shelter. Like they literally were being bombed and all of the kids inside were shaking with their teeth chattering and they were moving and they were shaking, but all of the adults were just frozen. And when I read that, it just made me realize like, oh my goodness, we're not taught how to let this like energy move through us. And I guess my question for you is like, do you think that's part of why we're seeing an epidemic of trauma today? Like that we're just fundamentally like never taught these things and we didn't have this understanding of the nervous system perhaps when we were being raised. Okay, so you have a good point there, but the point about not being taught. So when we're born, you know, we naturally expressing our emotions and feeling emotions and going through the motions. These are something that we naturally should be able to do. But, you know, it depends on how you're raised and parents who don't let you express your emotions or you have been shut down at some points in your life. So all of a sudden you felt that it wasn't safe to express your emotions. Um, There are a lot of things that could happen in your life, you know, a lot of small traumas that could actually make you go into yourself and feel like that expressing your emotions is actually painful for you. So, you know, we, our rational mind, a lot of the time can overpower our body and most of us don't understand trauma. So if we start discharging energy naturally, such as, you know, screaming or shaking, a lot of us tend to stop because we might feel crazy. And I mean, someone might look at us crazy for sure. If people don't understand what we're actually trying to do. 
It's also painful to feel our emotions. And I'm sure a lot of people feel this, you know, we're in a society where we have so many escapes, drugs, alcohol, food, exercise, we're all trying to cope and steer away from actually feeling our emotions. And that actually just leaves us very disconnected from our bodies and completely this stopping the stress cycle loops. So again, um, our society today is living with so much trauma because there's also something called generational trauma. I mean, that might be a, another episode, but you know, trauma can be passed down through epigenetics. And this just means our genes can actually be inherited through this epigenetic factor of someone who went through something, let's say like the Holocaust or some, some hardship in their life. And we now experience these unfinished stress cycles in our bodies. Yeah. One thing I've learned from you is that everyone has like a different predisposition to how essentially their biology and their body perceives trauma and energy and all of these things, you know, like we've said already, something traumatic for one person might not be traumatic for another. And that could be caused by so many different reasons. And one of those is your genetics and your biology. And I think this is something we've spoken a lot about in terms of the anxious attachment style as well, because it's, you know, we talk about it often and you say, yeah, but what people don't understand is that some people will have an anxious attachment style before they are even born. It was wired into them before they were born. And then they spend five years in talk therapy saying like, I love my mom. I love my dad. Like, why did they do this to me? I don't have any memory of what they've done to me. So that for me is fascinating. And we'll definitely do another episode on all of the things that can make you more sensitive to trauma and, and lead to a more sensitive nervous system. And I know that I, for one, and probably anyone with anxiety is going to be fascinated um, in that episode. But I think, you know, as we start to wrap up today's episode, my question for you is, this isn't just an adulthood thing, right? So, it doesn't have to just be a big traumatic event that happened to you in adulthood. And of course it can be. So for me, my chronic pain disorder started after a very traumatic event and I had no one to talk to about it and I suppressed it and I didn't, you know, ever process it. And I understand that huge traumatic events, of course, are going to impact you. But can we talk about like the micro moments and the buildup of trauma and the people that think they don't have trauma? I'd love to just talk about that. Okay. So yeah, like I mentioned before, our nervous systems are formed when we're babies and, you know, the way we feel safe and regulated starts with the way our parents and our caretakers, you know, attain to our needs. So it can start right when we're babies. That's how your nervous system is formed. Right. So, um, but then also, okay, you know, we might feel that our parents were loving and all of that, but we have to understand that we were dealing with traumatized parents ourselves. And with the traumatized parent ourselves, they might not even realize that they're not being attuned to our needs. You know, they might not realize that they weren't there for us. And, you know, that's very hard for us to grasp when, especially, you know, when it comes to our attachment styles and us being these overly anxious, stressed out people when we're older, we don't realize that their attunement wasn't what we needed. And that can be a big trauma to our systems and set us up for dysregulation for the rest of our lives. Again, what you said when it came to the smaller things that could be trauma that people don't even realize, it could be something like an automobile accident where, you know, that that fear got lodged into the nervous system. Um, you know, you can get whiplash. Something could happen to you where that fear is just 
stopped the stress loop. Other things can be like dental procedures that felt a little traumatizing or you felt a little bit alone in that experience or things like, you know, a fall or an injury. Again, that fear that happens around the event is what gets lodged in. It's not the event per se, it's that fear fear that gets lodged in the nervous system during that time. Again, it can also be feeling left alone when you are in a vulnerable state, you know, um, going through a life event and have no no one to talk to. Birth stress for some, that can be a trauma. Um, You know, when we were a baby, it could have been something like loud noises growing up, especially when our parents weren't regulating their emotions. That can be very traumatizing for me. And I'll just I mean, for everyone, but I'll just tell you a story about me where I grew up in a situation where, you know, I had parents yelling at each other all the time. And even now today, when I have my parents talk to me or yell at me in those voices that I heard as a baby, I feel a visceral reaction in my body. So I have to tell my parents, please don't use that tone with me because that has traumatized me in the sense that I have feel it. Like that is like just a sound when you're younger can affect you and traumatize you, which is really, really crazy if you think about it. You're so right. People still, you know, are thinking of this as as events, but actually it can be things like sounds. Like you said there, like you have it with your parents' tone of voice. I have this memory when I was like six or seven, I woke up alone on a sofa. My dad was supposed to be looking after me. My mom had gone away and I woke up. And I was freezing cold. My dad had put like a sheet over me, but it wasn't enough. I was like really cold. I was alone. I woke up. I didn't know where anyone was. And the football was on the TV because my dad is obsessed with sport and there is always football on in the house. And you know that like crowd noise from football, like that for me, I cannot listen to it today. I hate it so much. So even when my boyfriend plays FIFA, I am like, you have to turn that off. Like it is so fucking jarring for my nervous system. I literally hate it. So I think that is so important. And I also think it's so interesting. You know, I had a lot of injuries when I was a kid. I did a lot of serious gymnastics. Like I ended up on a stretcher numerous times. But those for me were like less traumatic because as you were talking there, I remember I hit the ground, but everyone ran over to me. It was like, I was there. I was on a stretcher. No one left me. Then my mom was there in the hospital. So it's just so interesting how like a huge trauma for one person, if you'd gone through that and no one had come to you and you were on your own and you were scared in the ambulance versus like a trauma where you felt like loved and supported, um, is fascinating. And I think another thing we've spoken about is how you said like medical procedures can be, you know, really traumatic, particularly like pelvic exams. I think that it's very under discussed how like women today with smear tests and like stuff like that, it can be really violating and like cold and clinical. And, you know, they just shove this thing inside of you and they like crank you open. And I think that it's so interesting what you were saying about the brace positions, how we kind of like, when we're stressed, we like tighten up. Um, and you know, we can for sure talk about that in another episode, but I think that the, the final place to wrap up today is just to touch on these aces. And again, like I said, we've got so many more episodes to do together, but one of the things that I do think we're going to get into is these adverse childhood experiences, these early life adversities. They don't have to be the major things that everyone thinks like, oh, I didn't have that as a kid. So I would love for you just to finish today's episode by, I guess, telling me a little bit 
about ACEs, these adverse childhood experiences, and how they can lead to anxiety and mental health issues later in life. Yeah. So, you know, the study of ACEs is a really important study for people to, you know, discover because this is a study that shows how our childhood events and things that happen to us when we're younger can interact with our genetics that actually strain, can change the structure of our brain and can cause behavioral changes and can affect our life, putting us at risk for mental and physical health issues later in life. So, They say that the more childhood life stressors that you have or these traumas that you have, an absent parent, a parent who was addicted to drugs and alcohol, divorce, fighting in the home, all these things that you can think of, these all lead to things like elevation in cortisol levels and later can lead to disrupted emotional and cognitive behavior, mental health issues later in our life. So, you know, people who specifically experience childhood neglect or lack of attunement, you know, I was talking before, doesn't have to be neglect, but lack of attunement. I'm just talking the parent not being there the way you wanted them to be there. The child later in life can suffer from thwarted um, neurotransmitter development. And I think this is a really, really important fact to mention. So one of my favorite addiction psychologists, Gabor Mate, he talks about how trauma changes your neurotransmitter development. His whole thing was that addiction is always rooted in trauma. If you want to look at how you know, not being attended to as a child or not having that attunement can lead to a certain dopamine pathways for not developing. We're drastically changing the way we experience pleasure and happiness the way we were attuned to as children. So your brain actually changes. So, you know, affecting the way we're able to feel loved and positivity and happiness and closeness to others. If we experience these traumas or lack of attunement as a child, Gabor Mate is trying to prove to the world that our brain structure actually changes. And then with this, we can experience all these mood disorders and anxiety disorders, unable to regulate our stress later in life. So again, this this whole thing shows that adversity and stress are really detrimental to the development of our brains and we can pay for it later in life. Yeah, we both love Gabor Mate. He is so amazing. And I think that again, he has reshaped my whole understanding of addiction, which is that, of course, if you have gone through trauma as a child, even if you are not consciously aware of it, and maybe it's really been lodged within you and you just never, ever feel happy because it's impacted your neurotransmitters and you don't have dopamine, you know, some people will just spend their life getting that dopamine by spinning and online shopping. And I'm looking at myself and some people will go the other way and they will do, um, take heroin and, and cocaine. You know, I don't judge any addict because like I historically have had such an addictive personality because before working with you, I didn't realize that it's just purely driven by the neurotransmitters. And that goes back so deep, like into our wiring. So my very final question for you today is you mentioned that our nervous systems get laid, you know, when we're babies. And I think that what you've also taught me is that it even goes back one step further, you know, in utero. Um, And I would love to just finish there to just talk about that a tiny bit, because I think it's, it's been a big wake up call for me, which is like, I've always thought I've wanted children. Um, I've always just thought maybe I would have children and 
then the more and more work I do in this field, I realize like I can't bring children into this world unless I have a regulated, calm nervous system. It's not fair on the child. Like I'm not going to do that to another human being. And right now I'm very much a work in progress and learning to sort of bring myself out of that fight or flight. And I don't want to bring a baby into the world that's bathed in the stress hormone um, because I think that's probably what happened to me. Like my mom told me, she was so stressed when she was pregnant. She was, she remembers like screaming, being like, stop, like it's going to harm the baby. And then here I am like a neurotic fucking mess of a human being, um, you know, obviously half joking, half not. So yeah, I'd love to just, I'd love to finish today with just talking about this concept of in utero maternal stress. Yes. So there's so many amazing studies out there showing that, you know, in utero maternal stress. So that's when our mothers are stressed during pregnancy with these high cortisol levels for their entire pregnancy. The cortisol ends up being a neurotoxin for the developing nervous system in the baby. These studies could explain why children whose mothers experienced high levels of stress during pregnancy, you know, may be more likely to experience emotional issues like in their child later in life because, you know, our whole nervous system is affected by these stress levels and these stress hormones per se. Those stress hormones can have take a toll on the way how regulated we are. Again, our um, emotional capacities to deal with stress. There are a lot of things that can happen in terms of mental and emotional issues later in life when the mother is stressed. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. And I think, you know, as ever, we always deliver these episodes without shame and judgment. We know that life is so difficult and we're all just trying our best. Um, And anyone that has a child that's listening to this thinking, shit, 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 I fucked them up. Like, you know, that's not the case. There's, There's so much that you can do and you can focus on your own nervous system regulation and breath work and things like that. But also you can do it with your child. And if I do have a child, I'm sure Sarah will be the same. I 100% am going to be doing, you know, breathing with them from like as soon as they are able to do that with me. And I'm going to be teaching them to feel into their body and to to calm and, and to identify the emotions that are coming up. And I think that that is, you know, the basics of what I think conscious parenting is going to be looking like in the next decade or so. I think it's really going to be different to the types of parenting we've seen in the past and almost like somatic parenting. So yeah, I mean, you have taught us so much today. I'm so grateful. I think going through the concept of how trauma isn't an event, it is the way that our body deals with the event and and working through the nervous system and the different branches and how if you get stuck in this one, then this happens. And if you get stuck in this one, this happens. And then running through all the different events that could be considered traumatic, even though to the traditional DSM, you know, then they're, they're not classified as a trauma, I think is, is so important. And there's so much more we're going to do on this. Like you said, the episode on why our nervous systems can be more sensitive than other people. There's so much biology backed stuff there. And I think on that note, again, everything Sarah brings to the table is science backed. She works with a huge number of very, very well-respected global companies, does a lot of their market and scientific research for them on these topics. So we will always link any interesting PubMed, peer-reviewed, clinically-backed studies in the show notes um, because it is so important to us on these podcasts to carve out a space where you know that you can trust what we are talking about. 
So yeah, we have so much more to talk about. And I just wanted to ask you, is there anything else that you want to share with everybody listening before we wrap up this incredible episode? Healing our trauma is about building nervous system capacity to build regulations so that you can release this trauma more easily. So the more we support our nervous system, the more we'll be able to work through these emotions without getting caught in one branch or the other. So again, nervous system resiliency and, you know, feeling our emotions, taking away from that bracing effect and feeling loose in our bodies, I think, um, you know, so we don't go into overwhelm or shut down and can stay easily in the middle branch. I think that that's an important takeaway for everyone. You know, let's build the nervous system resiliency and be able to cope with these stressors because, Life happens and, you know, we can't get away from these traumas that happen in our lives. So again, Louise, I just want to thank you for having me on this podcast. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I am very excited to do more with you on this topic because I feel like it's just not touched enough or, you know, there isn't enough understanding around it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I will see you soon. And I cannot wait. Goodbye. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.